Welcome back to the Hemingway List, the best podcast in the world. I'm talking about book two, chapter 42. I'm going to give you guys the schmoop outline. Julian returns to prison, goes into a cell reserved for people on death row. Yeah, the trial didn't work out so well. He can't help but think what a bright future he's wasting, and he gives in to despair. In three days, he'll have his head chopped off. Matilda comes in and starts to talking about his appeal, but he says he has no intention of appealing. His lawyer visits again and he gets the guy to go away by saying that he's willing to consider an appeal. Um, my discussion prompt was, after all that, he loves Louise again. Can't keep up with this guy. Swim said the mum she says, Julian says to himself, we have no idea where the Nile begins. This was true in 1830. John Hanning Spick discovered the source of the Nile in uh, on August 3rd, 1858. Well, there you go. And that was all the discussion we had about the chapter. I think everyone's ready to keep reading and finish this book. We're so close. We're so close. Today's chapter, let me just have a little look here. I think it might be a bit of a lengthy one. Oh, no, it's not too bad. Five pages. It's called Chapter 43. Goes like this. <clears throat> An hour later, as he lay sleeping deeply, he was roused by some tears he felt trickling down his hand. Ah, thought he, half waking. It's Matilda again, faithful, faithful to her theory. She wants to combat my resolve with tenderness. Bored by the prospect of yet another scene in the pathetic style, he did not open his eyes. The lines spoken by Belfagor as he flees from his wife ran through his mind. He heard an unfamiliar sigh. He opened his eyes. It was Madame de Renal. Ah, dearest, I see you again before I die. Can this really be happening? He cried, throwing himself at her feet. But lady, forgive me, he added immediately, his sense returning. I am nothing better than a murderer in your eyes. Monsieur, I have come to implore you to appeal. I know you don't want to. Her sobs stifled her. She could not go on. Deign to forgive me. If you want my forgiveness, my darling, she said, springing up and throwing herself into his arms, appeal against your death sentence straight away. Julian smothered her with kisses. Will you come here and see me every day for those two months? I swear to you I will. Every day unless my husband forbids it. I will sign, cried Julian. Heavens above, you forgive me. Is it possible? He folded her in his arms. He was in ecstasy. She let out a little cry. It's nothing, she said. You Only you are hurting me. Ah, your shoulder, cried Julian, melting in tears. He drew back a little and covered her hand in fervent kisses. Who could have said that this would happen when at last I saw you in your bedroom in Verrieres? Well, who could have said that I would write that infamous letter to Monsieur de la Mole? You must know that I have always loved you, that I have never loved you, anyone but you. Can that be so, cried Madame de Renal, ecstatic in her turn. She leant over Julian, who was now on his knees before her and for a long time they wept together in silence. Never in his whole life had Julian had a moment to compare with this, much later when they were capable of speech. And this young Madame Michelet, said Madame de Renal, or rather Mademoiselle de la Mole, for I am going really, sorry, for I am really beginning to believe that strange story. It is only true in appearance, said Julian. She is my wife, but not the one I adore. Interrupting each other over and again, they succeeded with great difficulty in telling each other the things they had not known. The letter sent to Man Monsieur de la Mole had been composed by the young priest who directed Madame de Renal's conscience, then copied out by her. What horrors religion has led me into, she exclaimed. And, 
Even then I toned down the most frightful parts of the letter. Julian's transports of joys <clears throat> excuse me, showed how thoroughly he forgave her. Never had he been so wildly in love. But I think still of myself as a pious woman, Madame de Renal assured him, as their talk continued. I sincerely believe in God. I believe, too, indeed, that it has been proved to me that the sin I am committing is frightful. But the moment I see you, even after you fired off two pistols at me, at this point, despite her protests, Julian covered her with kisses. Let me go now, she continued. I must talk to you sensibly, darling, for fear of missing things out. From the moment I set eyes on you, all sense of duty evaporates. I am made up of nothing but love for you, or rather love is too feeble a word. I feel for you what I ought to feel only for God. A mixture of respect, passion, submission, really. I don't know what it is you inspire in me. If you asked me to stab the jailer, the crime would be done before I had given it a thought. Explain that to me clearly before I go. I want to see right into my own heart, for in two months... We must leave each other. But as to that, do we really have to part? She asked, smiling. I take back my word, Julian cried, rising to his feet. I will not appeal against the death sentence if by poison the knife, pistols, charcoal, fumes, or any other means whatever you try to end your life or put it in danger. Madame de Renal's expression underwent a sudden change. Her eager tenderness was replaced by a deeply thoughtful look. Yet if we were to die just like that, she asked at length, who knows? What we would find in another life, answered Julian. Torments, perhaps, perhaps nothing at all. Can't we spend these two months together living in joy? Two months, that's a lot of days. I will be happier than I have ever been. Happier than you have ever been? Than I have ever been, repeated Julian with delight. And I say to you what I say to myself. Heaven forbid I should exaggerate. Your saying it constitutes a command for me, she said with a timid and melancholy smile. Very good, then. Swear on your love for me, my dearest, to make no attempt on your life, direct or in indirect. Remember, he added, you must live for my son, whom Matilda will leave to the servants when she becomes the Mar Marquise de Cruisnois. I do swear, she answered coolly, but I must have your appeal to take with me. Written and signed in your own hand, I shall go to the public prosecutor in person. Take care, you will compromise yourself. After the business of having... Come to visit you in prison. I will forever be a heroine of gossip in Besacon and throughout all French Comte, she replied with an air of great affliction. Proprietary's strict bounds have been transgressed. I am a woman who has lost her reputation. It is true that it was for your sake. Her voice was so very sad that Julian hugged her with an elation entirely new to him. This was no longer the intoxication of love. It was passionate gratitude. Now, for the first time, he realised the full extent of the sacrifice she had made for him. Doubtless, some charitable being had informed Madame de Renal, sorry, Monsieur de Renal, of the long visits his wife made to Julian in prison, for, after three days, he sent his carriage to her with express orders to return to Verrier's at once. This cruel parting began Julian's, bad, Julian's day badly. <coughs> then, two or three hours later, he was told that a certain conniving priest, who had not, however, been able to integrate ingratiate himself with a Jesuits of Bezacon, had since the early morning established himself in the street outside the prison gate. It was raining heavily, and there the man played the martyr. Julian was feeling ill-disposed, and this piece of stupidity affected him deeply. Already that morning he had refused a visit from the priest, but the fellow was determined to obtain Julian's confession, and so make a name for himself among the young women of Bezacon, with all the revelations he imagined he would receive." 
He loudly declared that he was going to spend the day and night at the prison gate. God has sent me to move the heart of this second apostate. And the common folk, intrigued as always by a commotion, began to gather round. Yes, my brethren, he said to them, I shall spend the day here and the night and all the days and all the nights to come. The Holy Ghost has spoken unto me, and I have a mission from on high. Tis I who must save the soul of this young Sorel. Join ye in my prayers, etc., etc. Julian had a horror of scandal and of everything that might draw attention to himself. He thought of embracing this occasion to leave the world incognito, but he still had some little hope of seeing Madame de Renal again and was deeply engulfed in his love for her. The prison gate was situated on one of the busiest streets. The idea of this muddy priest stirring up a mob of, and of scandal tormented his soul, and no doubt he repeats my name this whole time. The episode was more terrible to him than death itself. Two or three times, at hourly intervals, he called one of the turnkeys who was devoted to him to send to see if the priest was still at the prison gate. Monsieur, he is on both knees in the mud, the turnkey told him on each occasion. He is praying out loud and saying litanies for your soul. Impertinent scoundrel, thought Julian. At that moment, in fact, he could make out a low murmuring sound, the crowd responding to the litanies. The, to crown his irritation, he glimpsed the turnkey, moving his lips, repeating the Latin words, Therem, they am beginning to say, the turnkey added, that you must have a most obdurated heart to refuse the succour of the, this holy man. O oh, my native land, how sunk in barbarism you still are, Julian cried out within himself, carried away by anger. And he went on thinking out loud, without bothering about the turnkey's presence. That fellow wants to get in the newspaper, and this is his way of doing it. Ah, damn provincials, in Paris I wouldn't be forced to put up with these vexations. There they know more about charlatanism. Have this holy father come in, he said to the turnkey at last, and break beads of sweat, trickle, great breed and great beads of sweat trickled down his brow. The turnkey made the sign of the cross and went out joyously. This holy father seemed to be horribly ugly and still more horribly muddy. The chill rain falling increased the darkness and damp in the cell. The priest made as if to embrace Julian and addressed him. As with fervent emotion, the lowest style of hypocrisy was all too obvious. Julian had never been so irritated in all his life. A quarter of an hour after the priest's entrance, Julian discovered himself to be a total coward. Death for the first time appeared horrible to him. He thought of the state of putrefaction. putrefaction. His corpse would be in two days after the execution, etc., etc. He was on the point of betraying some sign of weakness or of throwing himself on the priest and strangling with his own rosary chain when he had the idea of asking the holy man to go and say a good 40-franc mass for him that very day. Since it was almost noon, the priest quickly decamped. Well, that's the end of the chapter. Thank you very much for listening to that chapter. I'll see you tomorrow.